This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Ken Ferry is a regular guest talking about all things related to corn and soybeans, how our input and commodity prices changing the way we will plant the 2022 crop, where are the extra dollars being spent, and where is the best value? What are the keys to keep in mind to have the best shot at great yields? All our questions for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. If you ask farmers what their greatest concern is this year, they will likely say rising nitrogen prices. For our farm, higher nitrogen prices and our desire to increase bushels with more sustainable farming methods led me to Pivot Bioproven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Ken Ferry always has great information to share from his years of boots in the field experience with corn and soybeans. This year's conversation has higher commodity and input prices as a backdrop. Are there any things that have changed this year that we need to consider? We cover many topics that I think you'll find of interest. Ken Ferry is my guest. Ken with CropTech Consulting in Hayworth, Illinois. Ken has been our guest uh, several times over the years. Ken, as we visit today, it does not seem like a day that uh, we'd be ready to plant. Uh, but planting is, I guess, just around the corner, isn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of guys are locked and loaded and ready. It's just we're just going to have to get the soil conditions, you know, to allow us to get started. Yeah, you know, we'll talk about soil conditions here in a second. But where I thought I would begin is. As we visit this time this year, certainly we're dealing with corn at probably $7 and soybeans, at least right now, what you could sell it for, and beans at 16 or 17 uh, We know that fertilizer and other input cri- prices are double or multiples of what they've been in past years. So is that changing the conversation uh, over putting this crop in this year? I know it does some ways, but how's it changing the conversation you're having with farmers? Uh, it it definitely changes it on a daily basis. We're getting um, emails and stuff sent in here about um, adding this or that to the starter mix, adding it to foliar feeds. The the, the add-ons that promise two bushel, four bushel, five bushel here, growers have a lot more interest in that uh, on adding something to the mix to pump a little more bushels out. Uh, and it's all driven by commodity prices. So so seed treatments and different things that they wouldn't even call about uh, in a regular year. We're getting a lot of calls, fielding a lot of calls on different products and whether or not they, they should go ahead. Where, you know, before two, two to three bushel didn't interest them. And now two to three bushel, especially in soybeans, for instance, um, that, that's that's a lot of dollars. As you look at what we could think about adding to the mix, are there any general categories that you would say, you know, if I'm going to spend a little more to capture a few more bushels this year, I would look at this as something that might be uh, good. Are there any categories that you think growers should be looking at? You know, I think there's there's some bigger ticket items that are more consistent in giving us yield response. And the, the one probably on the top of that list is fungicide. 
uh, whether it be on corn or whether it be on soybeans. So the growers that haven't been applying a fungicide in the past, um, you know, that's that's one of those areas where, um, you know, depends on your disease pressure and everything else. But it's it's going to be pretty easy to pay for a fungicide now with these prices where before if you talked about two bushel of beans, you wouldn't get that excited but two bushel of beans going to pay the bill plus, uh, you know, and if you pick up five or six, then that makes a big difference. Uh, corn the same way. It's easy to get fungicide responses in corn, uh, but not always easy to get them to pay. Um, that's that's changed with this dynamics of this market. I'm glad you mentioned the fungicide there, because depending on what area of the country you live in, I think sometimes people say 100 percent fungicide all the time. Some are scouting to, to decide have you found in your research over the years, does is, is it tend to pay off every year if I just go ahead and do it, that I'm going to be ahead in the long run? Or how should I be looking at fungicide? I know that's still a ways off from where we visit today, but I'm interested in what you're seeing. Yeah, and I think you can separate those, you know, from soybeans and corn. If we put all of our trials together in soybeans, um, we're, we're probably only at about 50% of the time that we're making money. Um, now that's going to change, meaning that with the market we have now, it's probably going to be 100% of the time we're making money. The problem with the soybean has always been it's hard to scout that soybean and know exactly which fields are going to give you a six bushel response versus a zero. I do believe if you sprayed every acre every year in soybeans, you're going to make money. Um, but you got to realize it's not going to be as strong in some areas. And it changes with maturity. It changes with conditions. And I know the further north we go, the more consistent we get. Further south we go, it gets a little rougher. Now, corn on the other side, it's always been fairly easy to bump some yield out of corn with a fungicide. We had tar spots so severe here last year. I think if we'd opened the jug and set it in the corner of the field, we'd got a response. Um, you know, so there's big numbers coming in the corn from fungicides if you're in an area that's fighting a lot of the different diseases. So, um, and in corn, we can scout um, and we can make some pretty good judgment calls based on what we see in the field and we can pull the trigger accordingly. Uh, it's been tough on soybeans to actually have a scouting regiment that tells you when you're going to have a response of two bushel versus six bushel. But you can see it in corn when you, the leaf diseases move in and the environment's right. Uh, it's usually uh, pretty easy to make make it even on $4 corn to get a return on fungicide, but much less $7 corn. You mentioned scouting there. Do you find now that most producers are scouting themselves. They hiring somebody to do it all of the above. I suppose at the crop price levels we're at, you need to be doing something. Uh, this crops, it's always valuable, but it's even more valuable in dollars now. Yeah, it's definitely a mixture. Some are hiring scouts. Uh, some have retailers and that might be a retailer in seed or retailer in the pesticide business that's doing the scouting. We do have a lot of customers that do their own scouting. They're in the field and, and doing the scouting as well. One of the challenges we've got into this year is um, airplanes got backed up as much as three weeks. So that changes it. You, when you're out there scouting, you need to know how soon you can get it sprayed if you're not doing it yourself. So uh, if it's going to take three weeks to get an airplane to fix a problem, you got to be proactive. So then it's a situation where you might have to look at conditions and hybrids and just pull the trigger and spray. If you have your own equipment, yeah, you can you can look at it from a daily basis and decide when and how you're going to treat that fungicide. But uh, I would say the majority of them though, are just pulling the trigger. They're just going to, it's part of an input. It's part of an input that they penciled into their budget and they're just going to pull the trigger sometime between tassel and probably R3 on corn and R2 to R3 on beans. 
you mentioned the airplanes there and, and getting backed up and at the farm conferences I've been at this year, that's certainly a topic. Are you finding planes, I mean, obviously have been used a long time, but are more people trying to use the ground rigs to get the fungicide on when, when possible? Do you have any thoughts on using ground rigs when we can versus the planes to get the fungicide? Well, I, I think the bottleneck this year was high commodity prices. So people who had never sprayed before stepped up to the plate and started spraying. So everybody's acres, whether you went by ground or whether you went by air, skyrocketed. In some places, these aerial applicators had 100% increases in the acres that they're going to treat, which created commodity or product issues and backlogged them. So talking with one applicator and he said, yeah, we could get 100,000 acres come in in a day. Uh, and how are you going to handle that? And even though if you got 18 planes running, you're, you're up against it. So, um, so, so I expect next year to be worse because um, especially through here, uh, the people who didn't spray, the tar spot whooped us so hard that they're going to be at the, uh, they're going to be at the trough as well. Um, and a lot of our retailers are not too keen on doing it by ground. And part of that is because of their applicators. Their applicators have put a full season in already, and now you're asking them to add another month to it. They're afraid they won't have any applicators left in that situation. So um, there's not a lot of excitement at the retail level to go by ground. Now, a lot of farmers are now owning their own ground rigs, so they, can, um, they too, though, have to find the person who's going to run that and put those hours in. But the, just the flat-out acres covered in corn and beans had skyrocketed so much this year due to commodity prices, and that I don't think is going to change. I think fungicide acres are going to make another jump. Uh, and in tar spots, some of these guys are going to want to spray twice, but I don't think there's enough product to do many acres twice. So a scenario where product availability will end up being an issue, too. Do you think that tar spot will that area expand or is that very much weather dependent or why was it such an issue where you're at last year? Uh, the tar spot's been expanding across the Midwest. Um, so we know now that it's reached uh, the Iowa, Minnesota border. It's up into Wisconsin and Michigan uh, and it's reached into the Southern part of Illinois, but it just got to the Southern part of Illinois and the border of Minnesota uh, in September. So it's a new disease rolling into that area, but it's been spreading kind of like a mushroom cloud from northern Illinois, northern Indiana outward. So it's it's made its way up into parts of Canada as well. Um, and, and it depends on your pressure. Locally here, it got here about three years ago. Um, and then we saw it in every field last year. And then we had the perfect storm uh, here. We had two 500-year uh, rain events, 19 days apart. Uh, in June. So the tar spots started showing up. Uh, we first documented here at our Corn College campus, June 30th, instead of being the mid to the end of August or September, when you typically would see it, it showed up early. Uh, and this disease is kind of a nasty one. Once it gets started early like that, it, we had a lot of dead corn here in mid-August. And, and we usually like to have August and September to fill these grain. So it, it, uh, but outside of the heavy rain area, we call it Tar Spot Alley, we had record yields. And those record yields, um, you know, corn yields, were due to the fact they had Tar Spot, but it came late enough that it didn't do a lot of damage. Uh, and their fungicides, you know, did a better job of handling it. Here, we had down corn. We spent a month harvesting down corn um, because of the Tar Spot. It just took the wheels off of the bus. We've spent most of our time talking about the crop, uh, probably as it's uh, to, to a couple of months after planting. Let's jump back to before planting here. 
early on we discussed about input prices being higher. How has that changed what folks are doing this year on, on fertilizer, whether it's the nitrogen, the NPK, any of that? Have you seen a big change in what folks are doing or even the mix of what they're using uh, this year or what you would prescribe uh, given the, the, the change in input prices? Um, we've seen some change in, in fertilizer inputs, but uh, very little, meaning that for part of that reason is a lot of these growers had locked down in a prepay program their price. So we look at the price today and it's kind of take your breath away, but a high percentage of these fields had locked it down and it spread and, and um, they got their prices locked in even on their end uh, situation. If you didn't do the prepaying and you're uh, caught without any protection, you might see, I think, some shifting uh, in acres to, to soybeans away from the high dollars that we're spending on the end side. We can talk about a dollar end price, but there's a large percentage of the customer base. And I would imagine the I states the same way where that end is either already on last fall or it was locked and loaded at a price that's more reasonable to work with. And as we work with the growers, say, well, lock in your fertilizer price and sell some corn to offset it because it still takes less bushels today um, to pay your fertilizer bill than it did three years ago. So it's a situation where you got to kind of keep that in mind as well, meaning the market is screaming for corn. Um, so situation where you're not selling $4 corn, you're selling $7 corn. So that does um, you know float the boat a little bit better from there. So we have not uh, and we would know it here because we have to rewrite the recommendations as a consulting firm. There has not been a lot of shifting. Um, there's some, and there's some guys that have pulled their fertility back and that type of thing, but not as much as what I'd expect it to be. Now, that could change if these prices don't change by next fall. Guys would be stepping on the brakes a lot harder uh, and maybe, you know, trying to wait this thing out and see if it's going to come back down. That's what I wondered because, you know, even with ourselves, I think we had – locked in a lot of prices at what we would have considered to be, I'll put in quotes, high, uh, but not nearly as high as what it is now. So perhaps the big change is what's going to come next year as opposed to, to this year. Could that be right? I think so. And, and and farmers, you know, are always watching that bottom line as far as where the commodity prices are. And if these prices take a dive, um, the, the, the amount of dollars they're going to lay out for fertilizer is going to take a dive too. So they'll, they'll step on the brakes, but in this year, it didn't warrant that so much, meaning that they could still make the cash flows work to where they want them and the prepays. Now we just don't have a lot of room to prepay fertilizer going forward right now uh, because it's too high and there'll be a, you know, that that'll tell how much fertilizer gets cut out of the program a year from now. Yeah. As we mentioned, as we said here today, we're still ahead of planning for most folks, but I know that, you, of course, talk a lot about getting that seed in the ground at the best time, the right time to get it up. What things would you tell us to remember as we look ahead to see, okay, when's this weather going to be good enough? I can get in. When do I push it? When don't I push it? Remind us of some of those things that you've probably told us for years. Yeah, you know, you separate the two crops. When we were talking about corn, um, we don't mud corn in unless it's for insurance purposes, right? And in a situation, and you're going to pay attention to that this year because we can insure this crop for a profit. So we don't mud corn in unless it's it's, it's insurance issues. So you're going to wait. We would recommend um, paying attention to soil temperature as well as soil moisture when you're sticking the corn in the ground. That first 48 hours of seeds in the ground, um, you know, if the if the water is too cool, you're going to be subject to seed chilling. 
And then you can lose seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10% of the stand due to seed chilling. So seeds don't fire, they get disoriented, they don't come up, um, you know. And then after that, if we have a long cool period, let's say two, three week period in there where the temperatures don't get going, those seeds that are planted with the tip up and the spike down, um, you're subject to them taking too long to get out of the ground. And we worry about what we say, losing the ear on our spike down plants. And that could be another 10% of the stand too. So something you'd never see going down the road at 50 mile an hour, 60 mile an hour is your pickup. If you're not out there stretching a tape and, and comparing your ear count to your planted um, population, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to find it. Um, but it's, it's a situation where we can peel anywhere from 10, 15 to 25 bushel off. Now, if you're peeling it off a 270, 80 bushel crop, you don't notice it too much, but that's still a lot of dollars today when you're talking about $7 corn. So we wait for the opportunity to put that corn in the ground when the conditions are right that we won't have seed chilling and we can get it out of the ground as quick as we can. That has to be tied, though, to how many acres you got to plant, how many people. And, and typically, we would suggest to be able to plant your corn in five to seven working days. If you can't do that, you probably need to up the planter, turn up, the, you know, get a high speed planter, add a planter, something. You, because if you can get done in five to seven working days, usually uh, you're going to hit, you're going to be able to pick the window that you want to run in. If it takes you three weeks to plant your corn, you're going to have to push the front end uh, so you don't end up with planting too much corn late. You're going to be forced to plant outside of ideal conditions most years. Um, now, it might take a month to get seven good days to plant corn, uh, depending on conditions out there. And everybody's day is different. Um, some of these guys run around the clock. So their day to them is 24 hours a day where other people shut down at dark. So if you're shutting down at dark, the planter needs to be horsed up, you know, to get that done. But you can't you can't be sitting on your, you know, fingers and sitting there waiting to plant. And it's going to take you three weeks to get it done. You're going to have to push conditions uh, in there. Now, soybeans is different. It depends on what you're trying to do with soybeans. If you're trying to get some of your beans early for pre-solstice flowering, um, there we can push the conditions. Um, we can push it in cooler soils and we can push it into wetter soils, um, you know, as far as making the planter dance across that situation. The soybeans pretty resilient. Now, again, it could take, you know, sometimes it could take two weeks to get these soybeans up. So they're going to have to have some type of protection. Um, on the seed treatment, especially for SDS, if you're in SDS country. But uh, around here anymore, um, a high percentage of our soybeans will go in the ground before our corn. Uh, the early planting beans is paying the ticket for them. They um, say, how many beans should I plant early? Well, you know, plant what you can, uh, you feel comfortable replanting because they could get a freeze in May and smoke them off and you're going to start over again. Most of our guys recognize that risk, but due to premiums they're seeing in their yield, they're, they're going to take that risk out there and put it in. One thing early planting has done, believe it or not, is it improved our corn stands. So it's pretty hard to sit there in the shed when the neighbors are rocking and rolling and you know conditions are not right to plant corn. Those are the days you go plant soybeans. So at least you're out there, you're with the neighborhood and you're rocking and rolling. Um, and then you come back and you plant those corn. You pick your pick your days to plant corn. If you wait to plant your beans till after the corn, then you can't give up too many days because you don't know you, know, you don't know how many days that it's going to take to get that crop in. 
But if you do plant early beans, um, my suggestion would be make sure the farm manager, the landowner, and everybody involved understands what you're doing. Because I've seen this multiple times where the landowner uh, had never planted beans before in March or April, and the tenant's out there planting beans and not planting his corn. He can get pretty excited about whether he's lost his marbles or not. <laughs> Situation where make sure everybody knows why you're doing it. You know, you're taking a swing at that, you know, pre-sources flowering. You think, though, in general, it's good to go ahead and plant those beans early, even if I have the risk of uh, having that frost and having to replant the the reward is bigger than the risk at, at that point, you think? The reward is um, it, it, it depends on the maturities you're planting and that type of thing and where you're at. Um, but it, you've got to get that soybean plant to at least the minimum to the unifoliate stage before the critical photo period passes on the front side of the solstice. Otherwise, it's going to flower on the back side or, um, and you're going to lose that window of opportunity to get early flowering. Now, how much of a risk, that, that's up to the grower because these beans are going to finish earlier, not much earlier. Plant them a month earlier and they're going to finish a week, maybe 10 days earlier. Um, so you have to think about your harvest. How do you keep that, uh, you know, how do you keep your harvest on schedule at that point? And you got to think about your spraying because it changes when you hit R1. So your post-spraying changes with early planted beans. You got to think the whole process all the way through. If you've never done early beans, you need to go out and do one field and do it somewhere where the neighbors can't see it. So when it gets frosted off, you, 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 you don't have uh, the embarrassment of that to deal with. But our beans, our early beans, I suppose the last five years we've dealt with frost on our early beans. But you can you can beat a bean crop up with a frost and still come out of it with big yields, depending on you know, again, depending on the how cold it gets and where you're at. Ken, with the time that we've got left here, I'm going to let you take this wherever you would like to. You know, we haven't gotten into any things about uh, insects, pests, herbicides, uh, ground conditions, planters, and so forth. Anything on your mind that you would want folks to know in, 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 in that big uh, lump of categories that we haven't gotten to today, what would you want to discuss? You know, from a, from an insect side, um, you know, we think about it in corn. We worry about um, rootworm and the amount of rootworm resistance that's starting to pop up in different places. Um, the bigger the bigger events now taking place in Iowa, where they're seeing resistance to traits and stuff like that. I think as as farmers, that's something that you know we recommend that every farm operation have a, a pest boss, one individual who's responsible for any threats against that farm. And he may have a team that help him do the scouting. But if you if you don't have somebody with boots on the ground out there watching the insect side, you probably should be hiring it. And and uh, rootworm uh, resistance doesn't happen overnight. Um, by the time it shows up in a field and it's got the field in trouble, there's a pretty good chance it's been there for maybe three years or so building. And uh, maybe if you caught it early enough, you could make some changes. So doing root washes, paying attention to the feeding, how much damage you got. And if you go out there and you have to spray a cornfield for silk clipping, and that's a pretty good sign. The beetles that are doing the clipping are homegrown. So whatever you were doing for rootworm management in that field for the soil is not working. So if it's traded or insecticide, you got to change it. Before we wind up, I know that you always have a lot of information out there and some of your own podcasts and things. How can people uh, find you and, and learn more about uh, what you're doing? Um, we do. We try to do a weekly podcast, Boots in the Field. Um, 
and put it out there. And it's usually what we're seeing here locally and what our customers are seeing where we're at. Uh, and then we also do the uh, uh, Farm Journal Corn Soybean College, uh, and that's uh, uh, in July. So it's a situation where they can come in person during the summertime and uh, see what we're doing here from teaching in the classroom to out in the field. And then we also hold that in a, in a um, online remote session, I guess you would say in the winter time. So it's, it's, it's put out in, in two formats there for uh, people who want to go back and review what they saw in the summer or people who can't make it in the summer and they want to uh, catch it online, you know, in the winter time. Ken, I always appreciate the time and we'll hope that we have a, a good growing season, although I'm sure you'll have plenty of work to do uh, somewhere looking at some some crop that perhaps has some problem spots. Oh, there'll be some out there, but I think we got the possibility to probably grow in the most uh, positive and the ROI side crop that we've seen. Um, last year was good. This year it looks to be better. And boy, what's going on in the world today, it, it we need to produce it because uh, this world's going to need some food, especially if our Ukrainian farmers can't um, can't get in and do what they need to do. We're going to have to step up to the plate and uh, and help it. So I I think it's there's a lot of opportunity there, but it is uh, again it's high stakes poker. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.